Thanks for checking out the Airborne Youth Podcast. This week you'll be hearing a teaching from Ben Evenson. I want to talk about the glory of God. How many of you like that idea? Okay. What, what does the glory of God accomplish? Somebody tell me. The glory of God. What, like, that sounds like a really religious term, right? The glory of God. The glory of God. Sean Connery. Okay. Yeah, Tommy. What does the glory of God do? Heals people. That's good. It does do that. What else? Come on, people. Y'all don't want to sit here and listen to me talk the whole time. So talk. Now. Oh, you do like it. Oh, that's sweet. I'll pay you later. Okay. $5 for you. All right. What does the glory of God do? Changes lives. What? Executes the will of God. That's another big religious phrase that I don't know what it means. All right. No. Execute. It does what God has in mind to do in the earth. The glory of God is what is what happens when the fullness of God meets the fullness of earth and like does something. It is never just like, wow, the glory of God. That was interesting. Never in scripture, never in history does someone encounter the glory of God and go, oh, do you understand that? The glory of God is absolutely like earth-shaking, trembling, shake, rattle your bones, and change everything about the way you see a situation. Overpowering? That would... Shaking of your bones is way more exciting. Like rattling of your innermost being. I mean, like overpowering. Because God, look at me. God is not overpowering. He's overwhelming. God is not heavy-fisted like, do what I say. He's like, do you understand that if you walk in my ways, it'll change your world? He's not making you do anything. None of you are here because he, God picked you up by your ponytail and set you in the youth room and said, stay. God is a really good God that says, I want you. I invite you. I like I have an idea and a plan and a thing that I want to do with your life, but I will not come and take you by force. He might do things to get your attention, like Paul, right? Riding his horse one day, big bright light, boom, off the horse, on the ground, on the ground, bright light, scared to death, everybody around him is running away, blind. For three days, like, hey, Paul, I need need your attention. Okay. But listen, God didn't make Paul do anything. You know what I'm saying? God said, hey, it's me, the one you're giving a hard time. I need you to follow me. Paul could have been like, whatever, and gone blind the rest of his life. Right? You look at a situation that's hit your life that you're like, what the heck, God? I'm blind. It might be an invitation to change the world. Paul was only blind for what, three days? Because he said, okay, God, that's an invitation. Can't really turn that down. He could have got mad at God that the thing even happened. Like, what kind of loving God is this that made me blind? Oh, but we do this all the time. Things happen in our lives. We're like, 
God was good. He wouldn't have let that happen in my world. Maybe the thing that happened to you was a three-day delay, an invitation for you to make a decision to go, oh, maybe I don't run the show. That's all it was for Paul. He thought he had it in the bag. He thought he was running the world. It was Saul at the time, to be correct. Okay? He changed his name because he, he was a bad dude. Do you get this, though? That tragedy may hit your life as an invitation from God, not a punishment from God, and not an expression of an evil God, but one that just says, I have an opportunity. But some of us need tragedy to hit to get our flipping attention because we're ignoring him. But he still didn't make Saul do anything. He just said, well, you want to go? Thankfully, Paul was happy to say, yeah, okay, I'll go. (laughs) What else can I do? I'm blind. Like, that's a problem in those days. They didn't have seeing eye dogs or Braille. Think about it. You know, like, people are like, oh, it's not that bad to be blind. People have, like, the cool dog they get to take into every store. I wish I could have that. Like, anyway, it's like somebody walks in on crutches. How many of you go, oh, I wish I had crutches? I used to do it all the time. Until I got crutches and I was like, this sucks. Why would I want to do this? Why would anyone want crutches ever? But you want them when everyone else has them. Justice is like, yeah, shamelessly, yes. Every time I see crutches, I want some. You're happy to play with them, but you don't want to have to own them. Do you understand that? Oh, my goodness. So I don't even know that I'm going to get to the story that I wanted to talk about tonight because I don't want to bore you tonight. I really don't. Look at me. I do not want to bore you tonight. I want to inspire and challenge you that your life is marked and called and invited to change your world. And it comes by the glory of God. The story I wanted to talk about a little bit, and I'll do the short version, I promise, is Moses. Remember when he went up on the mountain and all the people were being stupid and they made a golden calf because they didn't want to wait for the glory of God, they wanted to, they were like, man, Moses has been gone a long time, Aaron. What are we going to do? That guy's probably never coming back. Why don't, let's all bring our jewelry all together and make ourselves a God that will go before us. This is literally what the Israelites said after they went through the Red Sea and saw God do cool stuff. They were like, maybe we should make a golden calf. And they literally did. They all brought all their jewelry and were like, let's make our own God. Idiots. Anyway, We look at it and go, what were they thinking? But in their mind, this made sense. They're like, Moses is gone forever. We don't want to wait for the glory of God to come. We're going to make the glory of God come. Still happens today all the time. We think it's idiotic in the form of a calf, but we're very unwilling to wait for the things of God that we think we need right now. Spouses, things like that. Just saying. All right. Oh, snap, right? We're unwilling to wait for the things that might take longer than we think they should. So we go and we create an artificial version that'll fulfill us right now because we think, but guess what? It's fake and it will not work. Am I right, Lydia? Come on. You can yell preach or something. She's like, anyway, golf clap. All right. Yeah. But look at me. Moses is up on the mountain and he gets from God the solutions to life. Do you get this? He gets the guidebook of life. We know it as the Ten Commandments. Depending on how you interpret the heart of God and the type of God that we serve, you look at that and go, oh man, here come the rules. Nope. Here comes 
the protective guidelines of life that keep you safe and healthy. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't covet. Oh, what a restrictive God. What a jerk. Killjoy. Right? Moms and dads are like, don't put your hand on the stove. You're so stealing my joy, mom. It's like... Oh, but yeah, we laugh at that, but then we think like, oh my gosh, when God has all these rules, I just swear he's just trying to ruin my life. Yeah, I make my kids eat vegetables just because I want to make sure they don't enjoy their food too much. That's my whole purpose. I'm like, man, the entire motivation between ve- behind vegetables is I hope my kids don't have too much fun at dinner time. Eat your vegetables. Oh, but yeah, but you know what? My two-year-old, almost three-year-old, thinks that's why she has to eat her vegetables. It's like, Dad, no, I don't hate them. And I'm like, yes, I know. That's my whole purpose is to ruin your life. What she doesn't understand is that Dad knows what those vegetables will do for your body. Serious, right? Like dad knows something she doesn't know and I don't need to make her logically understand what's good. At times I just need to tell her what's right. And she'll benefit the fruit of it down the road. And this was the whole perp, the whole thing with this issue is that God gave Moses and the Israelites commandments and ways to walk and to thrive and to live and to move into the promised land. God had a promised land for them, and this was the guidebook to get there. But they didn't care. They are like, oh my gosh. I'd rather make a golden calf that will totally walk us into the promised land. I'm sure it'll just all of a sudden hop down and... Like, like the logic is so ridiculous. But what, I know. I won't do it. That was another Guatemala moment. I, don't, I, need a, I need a bouncy road to do it right, man. So, anyway, there's only one proper way to do a goat noise. <laughs> anyway, it's more fun. On a bumpy road, it's amazing. It's like, <laughs> anyway, okay. So, <laughs> right back in. Here we go. Hey, you're welcome, Ethan. All right. <sighs> Bus rides in Guatemala make you do strange things. Um, in any, in any bus ride makes you do strange things. But listen, what's really incredible and nuts about what happened on Mount Sinai is Moses was like frustrated with God because these people were stupid. He's going like, God, come on. You've got to show me what it's going to take to lead these people where you've asked me to lead them because they're idiots, you know, in basically those words. And so, so Moses goes and asks God, he says, I want to see your glory. Can I see you? And God goes, all right. And so God walks by him, covers his face. You know the story probably. And Moses gets to see God's back. And so as Moses sees God's back, it's pretty cool. He's like, whoa, that's incredible. Moses maybe didn't even fully know what had happened to him yet until he went back to camp. And he walks into camp and all the people look at him and go, oh my gosh, what is going on with you? Like, so his face was glowing so tangibly, not spiritual brightness, not this actual physical light radiating from Moses' face that it was blinding the people as he would walk through the camp. And they're like, this is a problem. So what, is, what does it say Moses did to prevent the problem here? 
He put a veil over his face. I know, very manly. Like, Moses gets a veil, a piece of a piece of fabric over his face to block. Look at me, to block the glory of God from blinding the people. It's the same glory of God that blinded Saul on the road. Why did it blind him? Why was the glory of God so harsh? What? Because it was because yeah, God is like brighter than a bright bright light bulb, like the sun. It's like, how many, yeah, anyway, sun stare. Six seconds. You know, you got might go blind, right? Brian Regan, yes. I got five seconds at the sun stare. Anyway, you got to go look it up. All right. But look at me. Moses comes walking through the camp. He has to put a veil over his face. And look at me. The glory of God that Moses received that day, the minute he started walking back down the mountain, it began to fade away. That was a temporary glory that was incomplete and for the purpose of the revealing of God's power. But what was crazy is the reason it affected people so negatively was because sin was such a great reality among the people. But if we fast forward on, and you can go through 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 2 if you want to get the time to do it, it talks about this whole insane, crazy, greater glory that has come in the Holy Spirit. Really cool contrast, the same time when they were doing the whole golden calf thing and Moses on the mountain and all this, the law came. 3,000 Israelites were killed in the camp in the midst of all this thing. In a crazy contrast, right after the Holy Spirit comes, Acts chapter 2, 3,000 were brought to eternal life by the salvation of the Holy Spirit. Same number, crazy difference with what occurred on the cross, what Jesus did to cover the sinfulness and reveal the glory of God, not to destroy, but the glory of God that brings life and restoration and healing and transformation. It's this entire crazy new reality of a new covenant. And what it says is that this glory that the Holy Spirit comes with is not here and slowly fading off. It's actually going from glory to glory to glory to glory to a brighter status, to a greater effect Do you understand this? And I'm just going to read the last verse of this crazy, cool passage. I love it. Oh, 1 Corinthians 2. Therefore, da-da-da-da-da. And we, who with unveiled faces, okay? It's referencing Moses. We, without a veil over our face. It's so good. I love this. So we don't have to be all bride-like, okay? Um, With unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's this place of saying constantly, God, I need to see your glory all around me. I need to see your face. Because one, the coolest thing is that what Jesus did on the cross, let us take a veil off and look flat into the face of Jesus, flat into the face of God. And because our sin was taken care of on the cross, it doesn't kill us. That's different from the Old Testament. The glory of God would kill you instantly because of the sin in your life. And that's why the big curtain, the Holy of Holies, the presence of God existed there. There was that big curtain that when Jesus died on the cross, separate, like it removed the barrier between us and the glory of God that is now ever increasing because sin is not dimming it anymore. And I love like this reality that we talk about it all the time. And there's this other verse, I forget exactly where it is, that says, 
and if we died to sin, we cannot live in it any longer. That is not permission to say, yes, I'm saved, but my sins just got a grip on me and I can't get out. It is, that is a verse that says, no, you died to your sin because Jesus went, nailed it to the cross. He died. We died with him. We resurrected with him. We're baptized in him. We're completely free from our sin nature and it does not have a grip on your life. You've heard me say this before, but you probably want to hear it again. Some of you didn't hear it before. Sin does not control your life. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. If you are not in Christ, get in Christ. If you're not sure, get in Christ. If you feel that sin still holds your life and has power over you, get in Christ. There's no limit to how many times you can get saved. I don't care. It's not about a prayer. It's about a heart that says, I quit. I'm not in charge. I can't do it. I can't be good enough. Jesus, you did it. I'm entering in. We just climb inside that body on the cross and say, die. Since we have died with Christ, we cannot live in sin any longer. It's not our being. It's not our nature. And when we aren't living in sin and we're not ruled by sin, the glory of God rules in our hearts and in our lives. And as we behold him as in a mirror, we are transformed into his likeness. Guess what? We were created in his likeness. Sin broke something. We get transformed, 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 transformed more and more like him every time we behold his face. The other side of that is every time you don't behold his face, you don't get transformed. You get stuck. When you ignore the presence of God around you, the opportunity to get in your word and read it, because the truth is all in there. It's crazy what it reveals, and you're going like, man, my life is falling apart, and I can't figure out anything, and I don't know what to do with my future. How much time are you doing in this? Because the answers are here. It's the glory of God is being revealed through you and in you because you're beholding the face of God. It's like Moses. He's like, you can cry out. Josh, I love this. He says, you can like demand that God come and reveal his glory in your life. Don't demand it once and be like, oh, that didn't work. And leave. No, command it. Demand it. For 20 years if you have to, And I guarantee his glory is coming upon your life. Somebody's got Siri. Anyway, all right. The glory of God is coming into your life when you ask it. But again, God is not heavy handed. He's not like, Abby, glory. And she's like, I'm dead. But if you say, God, show me your glory. Oh, I'm dead. (laughs) It's a whole different. He doesn't wreck you outside of your invitation. So if you're coming to Airborne and you're seeing people laying on the floor and they're crying and they're getting prayer and it's like all this crap's happening to them and you're like, man, I hope that never happens to me. It probably won't. But if you look at that and go like, man, whatever's going on, I think they like it. Maybe I want some of that. Ask. Ask for the glory of God to be revealed in your life. It's you're a son, you're a daughter, you're adopted into the family of God. He is not stingy with his presence and he's not stingy with his glory. He wants to be all over you. He wants you to walk down the hallway of your school and people just start getting healed because you're glowing. Not metaphorically. What if? 
What if? Would you be ashamed to walk down the hall of your school glowing with the glory of God and everyone that you walk by gets healed? You'd be like, oh my gosh, they're going to so make fun of me for this one. (laughs) Would you care? There'd probably be a couple of haters be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're healing on the Monday. You know, there was lots of haters on Jesus. The Sabbath day, how dare he heal those people? It's like, did you totally miss the fact that that guy's healed? Like, do you understand? Would you care? You'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry I did that on a Monday. I'll get you on Tuesday. Like, <laughs> do you get this? If you get yourself wrapped up in the thoughts of your mind and the opinions of man, you will probably never receive the glory of God in your life because you're more worried about that. Like, if you're afraid, you're like, oh my gosh, what would, what would my friends say if I got the glory of God? They might leave me. Okay, that's where your priority's at. Super, keep your friend. I don't know how long that'll last. <laughs> Is that a good word, Josh, or am I mean? Go ahead. Go ahead. Keep your friends. Oh, yeah, Josh got the... Come on, do you understand this? Do you get what I'm saying? The glory of God is for you and for the people around you. And you want to keep your friends forever? Watch God heal their life. Oh, yeah. You think they'll call you on your 80th birthday and go, man, I remember that day in middle school when you walked in and I got healed. Yeah. I'm sure they'll call you on your 80th birthday. Remember that time at junior high when we just like, we're so worried about everybody's thought about us and the zits on our faces. And you know, like, what kind of memory is that? Like, who cares about the zits on your face? Oh, I do. It's very important to me. Okay, that's your priority system. Get over it. Take care of yourself. I'm not saying to just like abuse your body and not care. Take care of yourself. But if it comes down to zits, guess what? They happen. I still get zits and I'm old. So you don't even grow out of it, man. It's awful, you know? And it's just really embarrassing when you're 37 years old and you get zits. It's like, anyway, that's why I have a beard to hide them. Anyway. I've got to stop this, but catch my heart with this, you guys. I'm like, I hope you get so inspired to find the face of God when we worship in this place. Say, God, I want to see your glory. When you go home, God, I want to see your glory. This is not the access portal to glory right here in this room. It's a place, not the place. So don't go like, oh, I only get Jesus at church. That's stupid. God is omnipresent. Okay, so it doesn't matter how crazy your home is and whatever is going on. Command the glory of God to come in your home. Change it. Transformation comes. So stand up. I was going to read the whole thing about this. It's really powerful. I'm telling you, homework, if you're like, man, I know Bible's huge. I don't know where to start. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Read this passage that Paul wrote. Look at me. Paul wrote this passage that talks about the glory that came on Moses and how it had to veil his face because it was damaging to sin. This is the guy whose God's glory blinded him. And then he's going, but then when the Holy Spirit came, boom, the glory comes and it's not death. It's life. It's life. It's restoration. It's healing. It's transformation. And it's like abundance. It's nothing to be afraid of. And Paul was like, this is nuts because I got blinded and it was awful. 
But this glory that God is pouring out on his people is for, oh man, it'll destroy darkness. Praise God. I love what Josh said Sunday about you guys. What, how did you say? This crew is dangerous to darkness. Oh. Is that what it was? And stuff. Yeah, that was a good word, Josh. Come on, are you dangerous to darkness? Are you? How about tomorrow? I want you to be more dangerous to darkness tomorrow than you are tonight. Or else you're not pressing for the face of God. Come on, destroy something tomorrow. Seriously, destroy darkness tomorrow in some way. Say, God, I want to see your glory wreck darkness in my world tomorrow. Or don't. It's up to you. So, come on. Put your hands up really quick. Say, God, I want to see your glory. Come and fill my life. Change my priorities. Because if I had your glory... Everything else wouldn't matter. If you don't mean it, forget it. I don't know. But come on. God, thank you that you love me enough to pour out your glory when I ask. So that your love might be known to my world. Make me look like you. Even better when people look at me. Let them see you, not me or my zits. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast was recorded live at a Wednesday night youth meeting. To find out more, check us out on Facebook and Instagram by searching Airborne Youth.